Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who are rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Many years ago, I was part of a beach mission team and... I remember um, filling in the application form to go on Beach Mission. One of the, there was a number of questions, not just like, you know, what's your name, what's your address, all that sort of thing. But one of the questions I had to answer was this. It was the question, uh, where do you worship? Now, I wonder how you would answer that question. Where, where do you worship? I, I kind of knew that what the question was after is where... What church do I belong to? But um, the question sort of troubled me because I actually try to worship God everywhere. Um, wherever I happen to be, I, I want to be worshipping God. And it seemed to me at the time, and I still think it's the case, that we, we often speak about worship 
in ways which really are more at home in the Old Testament than in the New Testament. Because in the Old Testament, people would go to, to a temple um, to worship God, uh, to meet God, who symbolically dwelt uh, in the temple. And um, uh, in the temple, they would perform certain rituals, uh, including offering up sacrifices of worship, uh, sacrifices for, for sin and so on. And these days we, uh, we speak about um, things such as places of worship, um, services of worship, uh, worship leaders and even worship bands as if, uh, you know, the music time in the church services, that's when we're actually really worshipping God. Uh, it's a, this kind of concept where Christian worship is thought uh, in terms of experiencing God together in certain places, in certain times, and in certain ways. But what does it mean to worship God? Um, to worship God, uh, worship is an old English term, and it, it means actually to, to give someone what they are worth. So to worship God means to give God his worth. How do we do that? How do we give God what he is worth? And what difference does the, uh, the sacrifice of Jesus and the, and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit mean for our worship? Now, this is... Um, topic which we're going to be looking at today. I'm going to just lead us in prayer now because we haven't prayed yet, have we? Let's, let's bow in prayer, shall we? Uh, Father, we want to uh, thank you for uh, this opportunity to come together and around your word and we pray that um, uh, by your word and your spirit that uh, you would be enlightening our minds and our hearts today, that we would live lives that are worthy of you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this was an issue which was quite natural for Paul to address uh, with the church in Rome because the church in Rome, uh, it consisted of, um, of Gentile Christians uh, who had a background in pagan uh, worship and it also consisted of Jewish Christians who were steeped in the concepts of God's presence in, in a building and of um, offering up uh, sacrifices to God. So two different groups uh, who really needed to uh, come to terms with this issue and also had to, to grasp their, their unity with one another as um, brothers and sisters in Christ. And so in Romans chapter 12, we see... Some, we see what it means for us as Christians to worship God. I'd like you to open up your Bibles at uh, Romans 12. And what we see here in verse 1 is that it really begins with the gospel itself. Now, uh, verse 1, Paul says to the Romans, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. Now, Jewish Christians, they, they knew what sacrifices were all about. You get your best animal, you slaughter it, 
you burn it uh, on an altar as an offering, as a sacrifice to God. And yet what we've seen in Romans is that this is what has already been fulfilled, that God has fulfilled this by offering up his own son as a sacrifice for our sins. Now, how can we respond to that? How can we express our gratitude to God for what he's done for us in Jesus? How can we give back to God what he is worth? Well, I uh, think what we see here is that um, that can mean nothing less than actually giving up our whole lives to God. As living sacrifices. And this, says Paul, is what it means to worship God. To offer our, whole, offer our bodies as living sacrifices to our Lord. Now, we live in a very um, me-centred culture, don't we? Um, where we are constantly taught uh, to, to think about our own best interests. What's good for me? How will it advance me? Uh, what's in it for me? And, you know, there's no surprises about that, is there? Because what we've learned through Romans about the very nature of sin, that sin uh, is where we put ourselves first above God. And so because we live in this very me-centred culture where our minds are being filled with me-centredness, uh, in order for us to be transformed so that we would live sacrificially, what needs to happen to our minds? Well, in verse 2, our, our minds need to be renewed. And how do we do that? How do we renew our minds? Well, it's got to be by filling our minds with thoughts about the gospel, with thoughts about who Jesus is and what he's done for us. It's by uh, filling our minds with, with the word of God, especially as it focuses on the mercy that we've received in Jesus. Because it's true that what we feed into our minds expresses itself in our actions. It affects the way we live in our bodies. Now, Paul was concerned that the Christians in Rome should have uh, renewed minds in terms of their relationships with all manner of relationships. And firstly, we see uh, their relationships in the church itself. And that's important for us. Because the, the me-centeredness of our culture, we can bring it into our church life. It can filter into our church life. Um, some time ago, I... I saw an advertisement for a church which was, <clears throat> by my reckoning, it was trying to attract Christians to join the church. And I want to, can I read to you this, this ad? Uh, it's called Breakfast Church. Oh, I like that. <laughs> Breakfast Church. And the, the, the ad reads, and I quote, Are you looking for excellent teaching? Brewed coffee. Good eats room to park, then come and join us. 
I want to sign up straight away, don't you? <laughs> I mean, brewed coffee, you know, if the, if, the quality, if the quality of the coffee is good, yeah, you know. But really, who would be attracted to join? I mean, it's the old adage that um, the bait you use determines the fish that you catch. Uh, and the, the people who'd want to join a church like that would be people who want uh, not to, to serve, but rather um, to be served. To have it all laid out for them, to, to fulfil their, uh, their needs. Now, in verses 3 through to 8, the outworking of the gospel means that our, the church is about sacrificial serving. And we see this in two ways. First of all, we see it in terms of a mind which is renewed, which is shaped by the sacrifice of Jesus uh, will actually lead to humility. Verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given to you. The person who thinks that they are of greater worth than others in God's church, uh, well, there's a few things they've not grasped. Uh, and one of the things they've not grasped is the humility of Christ, who, as Paul um, says in Philippians, that, uh, uh, that uh, though he was God, did not consider himself equal to God, but um, uh, humbled himself and became a man and was obedient even uh, unto death upon a cross. The example of the humility of Christ ought to shape out, reshape our minds and enable us to have a sober judgment in terms of who we are. You see, the gospel is the great social leveller. Um, down in verses 15 and 16, uh, humility means that uh, we will share our lives with each other no matter who we are. We'll share in the ups and the downs. We'll rejoice with those who rejoice. We'll mourn with those who mourn no matter who they are. And that uh, in so doing, we will happily spend time with people who are irrespective of where they stand on the, which rung they stand on the social ladder. We'll happily spend time with people who are not as high up the social ladder as we might be. One of the things to love about church is that no matter what our status is in the world, how brilliant, how successful, how uh, unsuccessful, how talented, how rich, how poor. Uh, guess what? We are all, if we're in Christ, we are all just sinners who've been saved by God's mercy. That's our status. That's who we are. And again, that's very sobering, isn't it? You know, it, um, it's like a Copernican revolution. Uh, everything does not revolve around us. Uh, this, the self-centred person thinks about being served, of power-broking, of throwing their weight around. Of, but the person whose mind 
is shaped by Christ's sacrifice, well, they actually, they're people who are on the lookout for how can I serve others. Uh, I like the story about the little church which only had four members. You've probably heard about this church. I, I know the names of every member of the church. There was only four of them. First person was called Everybody. Second person was called Somebody. The third person was called Anybody. And then the fourth person was called Nobody. It's a very um, sort of intimate, boutique kind of church. <laughs> and the problem was that uh, whenever there was a ministry need, everybody was asked to serve. But everybody, well, he always assumed that somebody would do it. And somebody, well, she always, you know, actually anybody could have done it. Uh, but you know who ended up doing it? Nobody. That's a cute story, for a bit of light relief in the middle of a sermon. And we, we shouldn't be serving out of us any sense of guilt or anything like that. But it's a, kind of, it's a very different picture to that which Paul sketches in verses 4 through to 8. Now, let me just read to you verses 4 and 5. Um, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Uh, the church is like a human body. And, you know, the thing about a human body is that it's pretty well engineered, it's integrated. Uh, each part of the body needs the other parts of the body. You lose one part of your body, the rest of your body uh, certainly feels that. And uh, that is, we, the church is like that, and we are like, we are like parts of the body, members, as the, the, the Bible puts it. So that as we work together, serving one another for the common good, it's like a well-oiled machine. Notice in verse 5 that um, as members of the body, we actually don't belong to ourselves. Instead, we, we belong to all the others. And in verse 6, that uh, we have different... The word it's, it uses the word gifts. Uh, we've, we've got different abilities which enable us to, to serve others. And there's a reason why... Our abilities here are described as being gifts because gifts by their very nature don't originate in us. They are given to us by another. That is, the abilities that we possess are not a cause for us to be proud about ourselves. Uh, they're actually a cause for us to be just grateful to the giver of the gift, God, and therefore, we use our gifts not in order to exalt ourselves, but rather in order to humbly serve others. Now, I am thankful to God when I see Christians sacrificially serving one another in accordance with who they are, in accordance with the, the person who God has made them to be, the gifts which they have and they, they might have a gift of teaching well that's great or their gift may be 
that they are actually the quiet, faithful person who prays for, for other people or who encourages others. And sometimes even by our mere presence, we can be an encouragement to others. Or the person who's always on the lookout for what are the practical needs um, of others within the, the body of Christ. Paul's point here is that if our minds are renewed by God's mercy in Jesus, then no matter who we are, that we will offer up our bodies, we will offer up our very selves as living sacrifices in serving one another. There are, by the way, um, therefore certain practices which don't actually fit into this picture of a unified body uh, functioning uh, for the good of the common good. Um, for example, uh, where do splinter groups fit into this? Uh, or where does habitual church hopping fit into this, where we're going around just find, trying to find the church which meets our needs perfectly rather than actually uh, being committed uh, to our fellow sinners who've been saved. Now, the next way in which we see the uh, effect of a renewed mind is in our love. Let me read verses 9 and 10. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honour one another above yourselves. Love must be sincere. You know, the, the word which is translated here as sincere um, it literally means unhypocritical, which I think kind of captures it a little bit, actually. Uh, because in, in ancient Greek culture... A, uh, what was it? a hypocrite was an actor and they, they used to wear masks to disguise who they are. Uh, is that the kind of love that God has shown towards us? Fake love? Pretend love? You know, like the person who acts as if they're your friend but then slanders you behind your back. Or the person who's very friendly to you but when you actually need something they they're not interested is that the kind of love that God has shown towards us now in verse 10 we should be devoted to one another in brotherly love and again here the word for love there's different kinds of words that Paul could use for love uh, romantic love or sexual love or emotional love but the word that he uses here for love is sacrificial love it's the giving over of yourself to another person in practical ways and so instead of being self-centered we are therefore other person-centered uh, he gives some examples by being hospitable by sharing with uh, others who have need because our first love is for God himself. One thing I've noticed about love is with love comes zeal. <laughs> the people I love, I'm passionate about. The people, the things I love, I'm zealous for. Verse 11. 
Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Now, when you think of someone who is really zealous for God, what kind of a person do you think of? Uh, the picture, the, I, what comes to my mind is the person is always doing, doing things for God, you know, doing this, that and the other for God, always very active, doing lots of things for God. Uh, or the person who speaks in a particular way about God, always talking about God in every conversation, that's, that's great, that's fantastic. You know, we mustn't, though, confuse zeal with personality. <laughs> Because when Paul talks about uh, zeal here, zeal is expressed by being joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. That's zealous, isn't it? Don't lose that kind of zeal for the Lord. Now, finally, in verses 17 through to 21, Paul... Uh, now shows how a renewed mind or a mind renewed by God's mercy will affect our relationships um, with people in more general terms, um, not only within the church but also outside of the church and especially with those who do not love us. Verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody if it is possible as far as it depends on you live at peace with everyone do not take revenge my friends but leave room for God's wrath for it is written it is mine to avenge I will repay says the Lord on the contrary if your enemy is hungry feed him if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. One of the books I enjoyed reading recently is this one here. It's, um, it's called Son of Hamas. It's uh, written by a man by the name of Mosab Hassan Youssef. It's his uh, autobiography. Masab uh, Hassan Youssef is a man who really does know what it is to hate and, and to be hated. Um, he's Palestinian. He grew up uh, outside of Ramallah on the West Bank, Bank. And he grew up in uh, one of the most religious Muslim families that you could possibly think of. His grandfather was an imam of a mosque. His father... Uh, is an imam of a mosque, and uh, as a as a as a as a child, he uh, would um, spend his time attacking Israeli soldiers with rocks, um, throwing stones at them. Um, as a teenager, he spent time in an Israeli prison uh, because he'd exchanged stones for bullets. He'd gone and purchased a rifle and ammunition in order to uh, kill Israeli soldiers. They caught him and they put him into prison. I really wouldn't want to be in his situation in an Israeli prison, um, in fact. Uh, his father was one of the founders, one of the seven founders, and was the spiritual advisor to Hamas. Um, you've heard of Hamas? 
um, Palestinian group, uh, classified by some as terrorist organisation. And uh, he would often accompany his father to high-level meetings of the executive of Hamas as they um, planned their uh, attacks. His life was filled with hatred and with being hated. Until one day in Jerusalem, he, um, he was approached by some strangers uh, who invited him to come with them and to attend a Bible study. Now, he says that on any other occasion, he would have just spat in their face. and He would have been furious about that. But for whatever reason, he decided to go along with them. They were reading through Matthew's Gospel. When he, they came to Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus says, You have heard it said, Love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. Pray for those. He had lived in a, a world at the executive level of Hamas, where attack uh, was met with retaliation, where retaliation was met with counter-retaliation, where counter-retaliation was met an endless cycle of violence and retaliation and hatred and love your enemy. These were words he had never heard before. Never heard them. And he said that, he said, I was so overwhelmed that I, I just started to cry. Started to cry. And over time, as he came to hear the gospel, uh, to know that the one who spoke those words was the one who actually put them into practice by dying on a cross, by dying, offering up himself as a sacrifice for the sins of those who were God's enemies. And as he came to understand that, uh, he did what was unthinkable for a Palestinian Muslim connected with Hamas. He received God's mercy in Jesus and now lives a very different life. A life where he's engaged in sharing the gospel of peace with others. A life where he now loves those who were his enemies the Israelis, a life where he's now hated by people, his own people, who he passionately loves. Now, what does Paul say here? He says that um, if your enemy is hungry, what do you do? Throw stones at him? Hate his guts? No, you feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, what do you do? You give him something to drink. Now, this just does not come naturally, does it? But with minds which are renewed by the mercy of God, uh, instead of retaliating against our enemies, we actually look for opportunities to do good towards our enemies. They won't expect it. Um, you'll catch them off guard. You may even disarm them. With the, 
you see, when P Paul says here, when you do that, you, it's like you're heaping burning coals on your head. That's not like a sanctified version of, <laughs> of retaliation. No, it's, what you're doing is you're using a very, very powerful weapon against them, and that weapon is called love. Just as God in Christ has so loved us, when I had to answer that question, where do you worship? I was a precocious 19-year-old and I was so tempted just to write in planet Earth, where else? Uh, but I realised, even um, as a 19-year-old, that that was a bit smug um, because I knew that's not what they meant. Um, but it's actually true, isn't it? It's actually true because because of... Christ's death, we experience God through his Son. And by his Spirit, God dwells not in a building, but in us. And so, in view of God's mercy in Jesus, we offer up our whole lives, we offer up our bodies as living sacrifices being humble instead of being proud, serving others instead of serving ourselves, and loving instead of retaliating. This, says Paul, is your spiritual act of worship. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we want to thank you so much for your mercy which is unfathomable in Christ, that uh, though we were yet sinners, that Christ died for us. Father, how can we thank you? What can we say? What can we do? Lord, it's our desire to abandon ourselves into your hands, to give up ourselves to serving you, and serving others. Father, we pray that you would purge us of the self-centeredness in our lives. We pray that you would humble us. We pray that you would uh, give us a heart's desire to look after the interests of others above our own. And Father, that uh, we would love you, we would love other people with uh, love which is unthinkable in a self-centered world to uh, love even those who oppose us that they might see in us something of your sacrificial love in Jesus and uh, Father we just want to worship you with all of our lives Amen <laughs>